Hey there, you're listening to What the Riff? Join us as we remember the great rock and roll hits from a month between 1965 and 1995. We're going to riff on all things about the bands, the members, and the goings-on during that time. We hope to inspire you to find and download the songs you hear today, whether you're fans who forgot about some of these tracks or maybe never even heard them before. Check out our blog at whattheriff.com or follow us on Facebook at What the Riff. Here's a shout-out to our sponsors, the Southeastern Railway Museum in Duluth, Georgia, Stanton Electric, a commercial electrical specialist, and Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So let's turn up the volume and enjoy this episode of What the Riff? An SR-71 sets a transcontinental record flying 2,400 miles in an hour, eight minutes. The first free elections in East Germany, conservatives beat the communists, and the first world ice hockey tournament held for women happened in March of 1990. You're listening to What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm John. And I'm Bruce. And what Rob brings us his album. What you got, Rob? All right. In 1987, this artist was a musical guest solo artist on Saturday Night Live, which his brother, Sean, was hosting. Oh, Michael P- Is it that the actor? That- he was an actor also, correct? Michael Penn did a little acting. He was on St. Elsewhere. Yeah, I remember him. he was him. mostly known for his music. Okay. He had another brother named Chris. Oh, Chris Penn is the one I'm thinking I'll of. I'll tell you yeah. a little bit about that, too. So he came from an acting family. But this is his first album, March, and we are listening to No Myth. So you probably recognize this. Absolutely do. Yeah. I really appreciate Michael Penn's vocals and his style. It's just a cool, cool groove, cool sound. Mm-hmm. What would you call it? How, what kind of music would you say this is? Uh, this Pen- is pop. I'd call it Pennsylvania music. Quaker? <laughs> Quaker music, really? <laughs> what? It's got a little bit Wouldn't of Wouldn't that be acoustic? It's got a little folk rock. Um, I don't see it as pop. I think a pop that's starting to get into like Michael Jackson and some of that kind of stuff. I think this is a little more almost alternative. Yeah. A little bit more. It's a little folk pop, folk pop sound. This was, uh, this made it to number 22 on the contemporary tracks, number five on the mainstream rock charts, number four on the modern rock charts. What's a good song? And that's no myth. (laughs) I like his lyrics What if I were Romeo in black jeans Did you guys ever have black jeans or white jeans Oh yeah man I had had those those ones where you'd you'd fold the bottom over And roll them up on your leg On the bottom of your leg I had a pair of those for a minute Mine were only ripped And that was because I was a kid And I would rip them at the knees Then later on you had to pay for them to come ripped ahead of time And then I had to have, I don't know, do you guys have to have when you're as a kid? I have patches, but had patches on the knees. Yeah, I had designer jeans. They were Levi's. <laughs> right, right. Well, he slipped this album in, didn't he? Because, I mean, this, this album in 88 goes nowhere. This album in 93 yes. does okay, but not great. You're right. In 1990, early 1990, this album can do well. Yeah. 
This yeah. and we've talked about this before. This is a time where the music industry is kind of searching. You know, your your heavily produced hair metal bands are on the way down. Yes, we're still a couple of years from the Seattle sound, the grunge sound taking over, and there's a lot of variety that's happening right yeah. now. I mean, I guess it helps you can lean on Big Brother to get you some publicity too, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, no doubt that that helped him a bit. Yeah. This album did really well, and in 1990, Michael Penn actually got MTV's Video Music Award for Best New Artist. Hmm. So, I mean, for the year. Now, did Michael Penn... Uh, actually pin his own songs? Oh, my uh, Absolutely. In fact, he produced recordings for a lot of other people as well. I'll get into that in just a second. Our second track here is called Half Harvest, and I, I just... I like this feel. Does this remind you of anybody else that we've covered or talked about? Let me, I, can't, let me I tell you, it sounds a little bit... If it, if it was a female singer, I'd say it's a little Tracy Chapman-ish. I was going to say Indigo Girls if it was Could female. be, yeah. yeah. Makes me think of Glenn Tilbrook from Squeeze, the okay. vocals. Yeah, yep, that could be it. Doesn't it sound like it could be Squeeze? Yeah. It's, it's really understated, isn't it? And almost Kevin Gilbert from Toy Matinee, Bruce. You. Oh, yeah. I really like Gilbert. Yes, you're right. You're right. Oh, that's sort of almost thinking... Joe Cocker. Listen to this. Move out of your bed of roses. I'm putting in a bed of nails. <laughs> please, Michael Pan. I, I'm a, uh, please, I'm going to pass on that. Don't I'm that. not bitter. No, yeah. not I. <laughs> yeah, I've moved on, I swear. But I'm going to also do this to you. He definitely. This was the second uh, song on the on the album, so I'm playing it in order. He was not alone. I looked at the list of members for this album, mm-hmm. and there are 16 people. Wow! <laughs> My God, the checks must have been split so now, so much. Nobody got know, a dime. Different ones played on different songs, and he got a lot. He got a number of session musicians. I'm assuming. Yeah, he did. You know how sometimes there's an artist like this. I mean, he he's vocals, bass, guitar, drum programming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hence the whatever digital drums on this thing. He had uh, a number of drummers that that in percussion that played with him. But uh, if you look at this list, I'm not even going to read all the names on there. But I was I was kind of surprised at that. Well, I'm not surprised because one. Remember, Chris Penn and Sean Penn are actors. We talked about that. He acted a little bit. Michael Penn did. And they all grew up in that Southern California area. They, I want to say it was just south of Santa Barbara, yeah. sort of in the hills of Malibu, but they weren't in Malibu. They were, you know, there's back in the day when you could buy a house, you know, for $50,000 in, in the Malibu hills. If I, if I remember correctly, Sean went to Ridgemont High. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Sean, Sean Penn. We could talk about that. Yep, he he was in a number of movies, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, yeah. Mystic River, Falcon and the Snowman. I never realized how many military movies Sean Penn was in. Yeah, and he's a kind of a peacenik too, though. Taps, Casualties of War, Thin Red Line, Flag Day. I mean, uh. 
Did he married? Did he marry Madonna at one point? Yeah. Susan yeah. Sarandon, wasn't it? Susan, Susan Sarandon. Did he marry? No, both no, of them? no, no. Oh no, 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 no. I'm, no, he I'm sorry, Mar- I'm wrong. Madonna. Yeah, Madonna was. You're right. The, that was a short-lived one. I was getting him confused with Tim Robbins. Yeah. Was that one of those headline marriages? Yeah. His brother Chris really was almost typecast as a tough guy. Yeah. He was a big guy. I saw that he was in uh, The Wildlife, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, he was good in Reservoir yeah. Dogs, too. Uh, Footloose, Rush Hour, Corky Rom- Romano, True Romance, um, All the Right Moves, Pale Rider, and Starsky and Hutch, the newer versions of those. Yeah, he's all. Yeah, in all those movies, he's sort of the tough guy. You're right. You could see him being in the Penn Attentiary. Oh, my gosh. Well Boy, done, sir. they just keep on coming. Oh, just wait. All right. This is called Brave New World. Lay down, Sally. <laughs> it does sound like it, doesn't it? It sounds like a road trip to me. This is actually the fourth track on the album, but I want to... I wanted to play it as the third one here on the podcast because I want to end with the fourth track. You'll you'll recognize it. This is like uh, Dylan's uh, Dylan's song, isn't it? Don't need the weatherman to sing where the wind blows. And then he shifts to this. I'm thinking Stray Cats would probably could be. Yeah, little rockabilly. Oh, it is I can little, see that. little Stray Cats, isn't it? Yep. Some good harmonizing in there, too. I just thought, you know, I'll, I'll cover this one. He's He's got a, a number of songs I like on this album. I was going to cover one, a deeper cut, called Innocent One or Invisible. I like both of those. I like the lyrics on Invisible. So check out the album. The album is yeah. called March. And um, it's interesting that we're actually covering... March of 1990. That's when um, No Myth hit the charts in March of 1990. But this album was released in September of 1989. So the album March came out in late ni- ni- late 1989. So he wasn't just naming them for the month that the album comes out. No, <laughs> that would be a hard hard uh, thing to keep up, wouldn't it? It would be. We got delayed. Dang it! Chase the name the album again. It's almost as bad if you named all your albums off of colors. <laughs> or you named them first album, right. second album. <laughs> Their first album. <laughs> I'm going to have all these Swifties yelling and screaming at me. And the first one in line is my daughter. <laughs> yeah, so then this just changes up a little bit here. This does have a little bit of rockabilly back, back tone to it. I'm glad you said rockabilly because when now it's, I'm like, yeah, that, that fits, especially for this song. It's got that tr- that 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 train uh, yeah. locomotive sound, and the- plus there's not a whole lot of drums to it. This is literally just the snare drum and, and some cymbals. Now, Rob, was this a was were you listening to the Michael Penn album contemporaneously? Not the album, okay. But I did have No Myth on my playlist, and okay. the fourth song that we're going to cover here in a minute. I had those downloaded and have had for a long time. Yeah. And then I thought. Let me look into the album a little bit. This would be a good one to bring to the bring to the what the riff community. 
Yeah, yeah. I think there's some pent-up demand for it. Oh, my gosh. All right. We're going to start throwing pens and pencils and microphones. Just remember that ultimately I can edit stuff out (laughs) of this podcast. I I specifically like when Michael transitioned from his music and acting career into magic and picked up his friend Teller. Yeah. (laughs) That was was a good move for him. Right. All right. Top hits of March 1990. Escapade, Janet Jackson. We're going to get rid of this. Hey, a great song, Black Velvet. I'm surprised we haven't done that one. If you, if you please. Solid. Yeah. Rome by B-52s. That's another. I think we got that album in the day. Hey, you and I saw them play that recently, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. Love Will Lead You Back, Taylor Dane, and Price of Love, Bad English. Very nice. Bad English came out with Price of Love here, huh? Yeah, in March 1990. Hmm. Now they start doing a little scat. It is a little scattish. Yeah, I kind of dig it. It's kind. It's got a good sound to it. March of 1990. I'm actually no. I guess I was in middle school still. You were in North Carolina at the time. In North right? Carolina, yeah. Like I was not in the headspace for this kind of music. Like I'm listening to Metallica. I'm listening yeah. to ACDC. Right. I'm listening to Megadeth, Anthrax, Megadeth. I'm listening, and then I'm starting to pick up grunge, the new grunge stuff. So scat wasn't part of your yeah. I, uh, scat, <laughs> uh, the scat guy, that was Sean Penn's little brother, didn't really nail it for me at the time. This song is one of the reasons that I decided to go for this album. Will you cut me to the quick? Some kind of abandon. And I'm pouring over this is called this and that. This and that reached number 10 on the modern rock chart. And it's just got a really nice feel to it. Again, he's doing some... He sings on a pretty quick tempo. Yeah. His words just kind of hit the beats. He's not playing this guitar, is he? Yeah. Is he really? It's not bad. He's pretty good. It's not complicated, but it's pretty good. Right. And this here's the chorus that you'd recognize. I'll do this, and I'll do that. I don't know that I've heard this song. Really? It was, I mean, it was it played did. a lot it, back it, then. it really did penetrate the uh, Oh, my charts. God, this guy is just going to town. <laughs> so Michael Penn was influenced by the Beatles album, Something New. Somebody gave it to him when he was five years old, and that was a, a big influence for him. He learned to play guitar when he was in junior high school and he had a band that played songs they would do covers from David Bowie Cream and the Rolling Stones and then his first band when he moved to LA from Manhattan he was born in Manhattan they they were New Yorkers uh, was called it was called Doll Congress and they opened for R.E.M. Hmm. so that's kind of where he got his start I like this by uh, this Song music critic, his name is uh, Park Pewterbaugh in Stereo Review. He says, Michael Penn is a thinking person's pop musician. And then a reviewer in Rolling Stone said, yeah, Penn is the brother of you-know-who, but who cares? It's a moot point. (laughs) So he really did make his own mark pretty well. 
I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily agree with. I want to take a little issue with that idea. You think Michael Penn is the get music musical guest on on Saturday Night Live? If his brother isn't the host of that of that episode, that was his start. I mean, that's the first time he got any any you know out in front of anybody. I think his brother definitely played a, played a role in him getting big as fast as he did. No, I think what they're saying is it doesn't matter whose brother he is; he's oh, okay. made it on its own. Yeah, it's it. it that was the yeah, point. He definitely benefited from it, but it's not that. It, but the music did stands not on its own. Penetrate yeah, my head. Okay. <laughs> It really does sound a lot like Toy Matinee, and and Rob turned me on to Toy Matinee a couple of years ago. Uh, who I, I just think that's just a fantastic sound, so I'm definitely going to have to check out this album. You definitely should. A couple other quick notes on Michael Penn. He's produced recordings for Amy Mann, The Wallflowers, and Liz Fair. And he's also done a couple of soundtracks for Heart 8 in 1996 and Boogie Nights in 1997 all right michael penn and march and now we're going to go to our entertainment track brought to us by the southeastern railway museum in duluth georgia march of 1990 had the big submarine spy thriller called the hunt for red october had sean connery alec baldwin James Earl Jones and Sam Neill in it. If you remember that, that was such a great. Oh yeah, it was so well done. Well, this is where this really put Tom Clancy on the map to, you know, as a not just a writer but a kind of a celebrity. Yeah, I mean, I've read several of his books. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're exciting books. They're mm-hmm. dated. They're all that Soviet era, uh, and obviously that's pretty much been over with for a while. Bad Influence, it's a psychological thriller with Rob Lowe and James Spader. And that was, I guess, the post-time you know, time after they were big and popular in the 80s. Yeah, so. I vaguely remember that one. House Party, you guys remember that one? The comedy I do. Film with uh, Kid and Play? I do remember that yeah, one. I remember that one. That was, that was a, a fun movie. That was a fun movie. Another interesting movie, if you like the... Uh, English comedy was Nuns on the Run with Eric Idle and Robin Robbie Coltrane. Robbie Coltrane was the guy that was uh, in Harry Potter, the big uh, Haggard. Oh, Hagrid? Hell yeah. Yeah. He passed away recently. Another big movie that came out in March of 1990, Pretty Woman, with Julia Roberts and Richard Gere, where he... Yeah, yeah, she was a prostitute, was, yeah. and uh, he like fell, he fell, falls in love with her. The comedy of March 1990. This was actually pretty funny, and I enjoyed the heck out of it. Joe versus the volcano. Yeah, I've never seen it. Bad. Yeah, I've never seen it. It's a Tom good, Hanks, right? Yeah, Tom Hanks. I think he's he's supposed to be terminal with something. Yeah, and Meg Ryan was his sort of interest, but you know he just would not close the deal. And I guess someone gave money for someone to jump into a volcano to keep it from exploding. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. They tried to get him to jump into it. Yeah, like, exactly. Well, he volunteered initially, and then I guess finally found out that he still he was in love with Meg Ryan. And then the superhero movie of March 1990, based off a comic book, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yep. I remember that one. This is also around the time when the, the Batman movies were coming out. Yeah, I think yeah. the second ones. It was getting close. I think it may have the already The first come one out. came out in 89, so yeah. it might have been close Batman to Batman Beyond, the, I think, came out in 91. Okay. 
All right, in March of 1990, the Academy Awards, Driving Miss Daisy won, Daniel Day-Lewis and Jessica Tandy won. Uh, in TV, the People's Choice Awards, Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep win for the movie, and Bill Cosby and Felicia Wasrod win in TV, which obviously was the Cosby show. Singer Gloria Estefan fractures her spine when her truck hits a, her tour bus in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Oh, I'd forgotten about yeah, that. Yeah. That was a big deal. And the season ending of ALF, Consider Me Gone, happened, and it turned out that that was actually the end of ALF. The surprise end yeah. of the series. Yeah. More things that ended. Uh, the Bradys. I didn't even know there was a remake of The Brady Bunch, <laughs> but it was called The Bradys. Must not have done very well. Then you had Freddy's Nightmares, which was obviously the Nightmares of Elm Street. You know, it was the TV show. And then this was in syndication for forever. It was seven years. Mama's Family. Do you remember oh, that? Yeah. Classic show. Off of uh, the Carol Burnett show. Carol Burnett, yeah. yeah. Those, those comedians were awesome. Well, that's your entertainment of March of 1990. Now we'll get into our staff picks. And who are we going to first? We're going to go to Bruce. That would be me, my friend. And let's see if you recognize this. This has got that melancholy feel that I tend to be drawn to. This song went to number 55 on the Billboard Hot 100, but just dominated the then-new Billboard Alternative Songs chart, which started in 1988. This is Peter Murphy, Cuts You Up. Oh, my God. What a great song this was. You remember this one? I do. I do remember this song. Yeah, I remember it, too. I love I loved his voice. I loved I loved the like the the dry like uh, tone of his voice, the way he weaves it into this song. Yeah. He's got a very distinctive voice, doesn't he? He does. It's got it's got kind of that um Queen's right echoey uh, English sound to it a little bit. Yeah. So it spent 7 weeks at number 1 on the Billboard Alternative Songs chart. And if you recognize the voice, Peter Murphy was the lead singer of the group Bauhaus, uh, which sang the song Bella Lugosi's Dead. I remember that song. Remember that? Well, I mean, that was, this is sort of college rock music at this yeah. time. So, yep. yeah. so I was more into that than the pop. I mean, like you said, it was a dead period. 88 to early 91, it was just a dead period for me in music. So mm-hmm. I was more of into the college rock uh there's you weren't a ha- hair band guy? Well, I did a little bit of the hair band. We'll get to that in a little bit. But, yeah, I did I did some of that. But, yeah, even that was, like like Bruce said earlier, it was overproduced. Some of this stuff was just crazily produced. Yeah, much. yeah, it really was. So Bauhaus, um, the other members went on to form the group Lovin' Rockets. Yeah. Yep. Which you might re- recognize that, uh, what, No New Tell to Tell. Um, Murphy and guitarist Paul Statham wrote this song, and that violin that's in there mm-hmm. is actually a sample. Um, they brought in a viola player to perform the part, but Murphy had submitted it with this kind of sample violin, and they just never could get the sound exactly where they wanted it, so they left it as a, as a sample. A friend of mine that does most of our um, music composition and jingles when we're doing something for a commercial, mm-hmm. He was telling me that he was working for a company, and he has a—they've got a metronome in the background for him to 
you know, make sure the timing is right. Right. And so when he sent the client the final thing, the client goes, where's that little beat that's in the background? <laughs> and he goes, what are you talking about? We didn't have a percussion in there. He goes, no, that it was, you know, just keeping the beat. And he goes, that was the metronome. That's not, that's that's not, not supposed to be there. That's not part of the song. <laughs> so he actually added it in, and they went with it. Why not? <laughs> So deciphering the meaning of this song is a little difficult, but uh, Songfacts asked Murphy about it, and and he said it's about how the path of self-knowledge and discovery will ruin your assumptions and keep you from being arrogant. Hmm. So that's kind of the idea. Apparently, Murphy is a big, kind of a a big spiritual kind of guy. He's uh, big on self-discovery and things like that. Yeah, his voice is very distinctive, and I, I know you mentioned the other bands. I, mm-hmm. of course, you, it's hard to think of other songs right. when you're listening to one. But I just I know that I've heard him in in other songs. Right, right. He's, it's it's got a gravelly kind of a uh, 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 consistency to it. I mean, he, na- he named the album Deep. I mean, when you name the album Deep, you got to mm-hmm. write some some tracks. It better be. You got to write some lyrics that are gonna they're gonna make you think about them, right? Yeah. My wife always gives me the compliment. She always tells me that wisdom has chased me my entire life, but I've always been faster. <laughs> I don't know what she means by that. Well but, played. Uh, well played. Am I supposed to take that as a compliment? <laughs> I think she's just saying I'm super fast. That's yeah. all. <laughs> if I remember correctly, the video for this is uh, kind of interview with the vampire yeah, uh, type of thing, a little gothic. Yep. Well, this is around the time that movie came out, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was there was a there was a that, there was that period after the hairband day, the bright lights, the glitter, the sequins, and all that stuff, where it kind of did go a little bit goth. Yeah. I mean, it, like the, even the Batman movies with Tim Burton. I mean, and then you got yeah. like Tim Burton putting out these very gothic, you know, movies. Um, the, the claymation stuff, and you got a lot of gothic scenes. Long Chris, before the shiny vampires. Oh, long before. Bruce, I like the way that how this is ending. It's actually picking up speed yeah. here at the end. It's actually changing. It's kind of moving a lot faster. I like that. Well produced. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. All right. Well, now we're going to go to Lynch. From one extreme to the other. All right, we've talked about this before. If you listen to if you listen to this podcast like a true fan, you listen to all of these. You know what happens when Billy Joel writes a song for one of his wives? What happens? <laughs> they get divorced. <laughs> Billy Joel did not know this when he wrote this song, apparently, because he went ahead and wrote "I Go to Extremes" for Christy Brinkley. Releases it in 1990. What could go wrong? Of course, things immediately devolve, and in 1994, they are divorced. This is a song about, he's basically saying, you know, sometimes I'm not as good a husband as I could be. Sometimes I'm, I'm a guy that goes to extremes. Sometimes, uh, you know, the, the roller coaster high is higher than it should be, or, or you know, the, the, the flame gets a little brighter than it should, and I'm trying to fix it. I feel like this is the... One of the more rock sound tracks from Billy Joel. I mean, 
There's a lot of percussion in there that yeah. I don't think you get all the time from him. Yeah, he's definitely a little little um, grittier than he normally goes with these songs. Yeah. Um, this whole album was just great. I, I, I got Stormfront, and um, it was just a great album, top to bottom. I think once he released We Didn't Start the Fire, mm-hmm. like there was like a a stampede to pick this album up. Right. I mean, that was such an such a such a great music video on MTV. It was such a great uh, uh, single that came out that even though I got this album like the week it came out, um, I don't think people really saw how good it was going to be until maybe a couple months into the, its release, mm-hmm. and then it slowly built up steam. And before you knew it, this album was super popular. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you've got everybody knows about "We Didn't Start the Fire," and yeah. you recognize this song. But there's so many. Uh, I mean, the Down Easter Alexa is on that one. He's got one called "Leningrad" that's a really good song about the fall of the the Soviet Union and friendships across the the Iron Curtain. Um, and he's got one at the very end of the album of the CD uh, called "And So It Goes" that is just him and the piano. I love that song. I almost picked that song instead of this one, mm-hmm. but I, I thought you know what we, we got a theme going with Billy Joel and divorces, so we got to stick with it a little bit. Well, this was a top five hit. This was, yeah, yeah. absolutely. You got the classic Billy Joel playing piano in the background. It's almost blown out by the rest of the music. The drums are like overpowering the piano here. This song was co-produced by Mick Jones. From Foreigner. From Foreigner. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he also, he, Mick Jones also worked on Van Halen stuff, <laughs> as you as, as we know. It's the very first time that Billy Joel did not use Phil Ramone as a producer in over a decade. And he comes out and he goes, and he got asked, he goes, is there bad blood or something? Is that why you're not using him? Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, it's kind of like... You get married and you're just too close to your spouse producing stuff, and you're like, what if I mix it up a little bit? Maybe I'll get a different sound. And obviously, he did get a different sound with this. Yeah. It does fit the time frame, so. Yeah. I like this piano part here. Rob, did you, were you there listening? There you to, go. Were you listening to this album when it came out? I, I remember this. No, I didn't have the album. I remember the, the this song, and I remember We Didn't Start the Fire. I'm a little bit more old school, so I like the Piano Man, Glass Houses. But like those. that didn't make you buy this album, or you weren't? I, I did not buy this album. No, I did not. Really? No, I did not start that fire. Yeah, my dad was a big Billy Joel fan, so we, we listened to this stuff. Yeah, my mom was, but it was more the older stuff. But he's so talented. Wow. All right, well, now we're going to go to our next staff pick, and this is being brought to us by Wayne. What do you have for us? All right, guys, we're in peak. Big hair metal time here. Out of Las Vegas, baby, we have (laughs) Slaughter. (laughs) You can tell what it is immediately, right? Yeah. Yeah. Up all night. It's that glam metal sound. I mean, it's written by the band members Mark Slaughter and Dana Strom. And yes, that is his real name. The band is named after Mark Slaughter. And uh, that was his birth name. You gotta, you gotta think if you're, a, if, let's say, let's say you're a hair metal band in 1990, right? March of 1990. 
you have been living high on the hog since about 87 ish mm-hmm. maybe you know you get the bon jovi stuff you got you got uh the the obviously you got like I wouldn't I necessarily call Def Leppard a hair metal band, but they're kind of a hair metalish band a little bit. They at definitely least, benefited from it. Definitely didn't during they? that time, they definitely got the inherited love of hair metal mm-hmm. over to them. But you got, I mean, you got so many, so many Motley Crue and all those, all those. Things. And then in 1990, you're thinking this could never end. We are, we are rock gods. <laughs> Everybody loves our. Our glam, our uh, our hairspray to hair. It's this will never come to an end, and like it comes to a crashing halt in like '91. I yeah. mean, like slams the brakes. Oh, speaking of which, John, yeah, you talk about your typical heavy metal video. There's scantily clad women there with lights in the backdrop, and they're in the rain and stuff like that. And of course. You got the band playing their music, and they're doing the hair flips every time. You know, throwing their hair I back. this heavy metal. Well, glam, glam metal, maybe. Yeah, and and they even had a guy leaning up against a brick wall. It was like <laughs> just some random dude. It's like, okay, where'd that come from? But yeah, we got thirty seconds to fill. Just lean that dude against the wall. Cool. But New York Times did put this video as the fifteen essential hair metal videos. So yeah. But, yeah, going from dusk to dawn is what they're talking about here. And is this not the theme songs for most bands? I mean, you think about it, it's a rock band's anthem. Because, yeah, they... I want to rock and roll all night and party party every day. (laughs) Or, you know, Wayne's favorite song, We Built This City on Rock and Roll. Yes. (laughs) All right, this is off their debut album, Stick It To You. And it sold over two million copies worldwide and went double platinum. So, yeah, they—I mean, they—they they were one of the last ones to benefit from this hair metal. Like John said, in '91, it just kind of falls apart. And um, they won uh, the American Music Awards for the favorite heavy metal new artist in '91. Um, and they drudged on during the grunge music time. They weren't as popular, but they still kept on playing. They were doing. They're mainly a warm-up group. They they only had a few hits. Uh, I mean, they they toured with Kiss, Poison, Ozzy Osbourne, Ted Nugent, Night Ranger, and Damn Yankees. So now, now only seven and a half years separate this song from Toto's Africa. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're if you're keeping track, clearly an inspiration. Clearly an inspiration. In some ways. Sure as Kilimanjaro rises like <laughs> Olympus above the Serengeti. Now this song did go to 27 on the charts, and these guys are still out there touring. They're doing the rock cruises, metal festivals, and everything else. So, All right, we're moving on to our last staff pick, and that's going to Rob. What you got, Rob? This is singer, songwriter, manager, and record producer Jude Cole, and the song is Baby It's Tonight. He's got a little bit of a John Waite style voice. Yeah, I was going to say that. He could almost pass his Yeah. This sounds more mid-80s to me than it does 90. I agree. I was looking on options to choose, and when I saw this, I was like, I haven't heard that in a while. We, we did a staff pick of Jude Cole, I think, a while back. Yeah, I, I, I think I did a Jude Cole. Yeah. You're, you're going to hear the uh, chorus, and then you'll recognize it. 
Maybe it's tonight. This was a misheard lyric for me. What did you think he was I saying? I thought he said, baby, it's too late. I did, too. Did you really? Yeah, I really did. Good thing oh, I, you guys had negative thoughts during relationships then, didn't you? I'm just, <laughs> I like the melancholy, man. What can I say? He, he started out with uh, the band Lifehouse. And at one point, he started a record label called Ironworks with Kiefer Sutherland. I never knew Kiefer Sutherland was into music. Did you guys know that? Kiefer Sutherland actually is, like, massively into music. Yeah, I did know that. Did you? Yeah, like, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland, like, is it was, he could have gone either direction. He could have gone in di- deep into his music uh, roots. Yeah. But obviously he stuck to the acting. Well, and and in the Lost Boys, we found out he is up all night, sleep all day. He is. He is. His his days and nights are swapped by necessity. I wonder if he was involved, though, producing and picking the songs for that album. That I couldn't tell you. You know, because it, it seems like it would make sense. But yeah, he's he's been he's been massively into into the music scene. Now, you guys might have thought it was said, "Baby, it's too late," because that is commonly. What Wayne tells the girls that are not going to the concert with me and him, and they call him up last minute and go, "No, I want to." I'd come, really Wayne. like to go after all. I'd really like to go after all, but I'm sitting beside him in the in the truck, and he goes, "Baby, it's too late." Because <laughs> John's going with me to the concert. I thought it was when he called you and you're at the gym working out, and he's like, "You going to the concert? We're supposed to meet." And I would like, never say that. And you go, "I forgot." And he goes, "Baby, it's tonight." Baby, it's tonight. I'm like, don't call me baby, psycho. (laughs) So this was from his second album, A View from Third Street. And this song made it to number 16. Another track, Time for Letting Go, made it to the top 40 later in the year. So that may have been one that you covered. But it was kind of a, kind of brought me back. Oh, by the way, drums and percussion, you're listening to Mr. Jeff Picaro. Oh, from the band Toto. No, no, no. I'm sorry. What did I say a few minutes ago? How it's a mere seven and a half years (laughs) after the release of Africa? All right. Now we go to either a instrumental or laugh track, and this is definitely a laugh track. Got to listen for a second. Attention, all you sucker crews. Attention. All right. I didn't put this one on the database. Who did that? This is Kosher As They Want to Be by Two Live Jews. <laughs> okay, we're canceled. This was a comedy hip-hop duo, and it was MC Moisha, Eric Lambert, and Easy Irving, Joe Stone, and it's a parody of Two Live Crew. Ah. Did you put this one on there, Rob? I did. I would have thought it would be Wayne that would get us canceled. I would have house Wayne put this on there. <laughs> Yep, they actually made it on MTV, Regis and Kathy Lee, and other media places. Mistakes were made. All right, other <laughs> music of March of 1990. Lee and Chad Smith of the Red Hot Chili Peppers are arrested for incident in a performance at Daytona Beach MTV Spring Break. You guys remember those? Yeah, yeah. They big. allegedly assaulted and verbally abused female audience members during a jump off the stage. So, oh, mm. yeah. I think what it was is Flea was literally naked, and he did like a stage dive or something like that, if I remember right. I, though that could have happened any of half yeah. a dozen times. So, Motley Crue's Tommy Lee was arrested for exposing his buttocks 
during a performance in Augusta, Georgia. And then it would happen in the end. <laughs> the Go-Go's reunite to play a benefit concert. All right. Some albums that came out. Cowboy Junkies, The Caution Horses, Chris Christopherson, he's a third world warrior. He's a very talented man there. Carly Simon had some covers from My Romance. Robert Plant, Manic Nirvana. That was a great album. Yeah, it was a good album. All right. We had Sinead O'Connor. I don't. I love Sinead O'Connor's yeah. album. Yeah, I think this is the one that she's got real controversial on. And then Heart had Brigade, and then Social Distortion had their debut album. And I think we'll make cover that or another. I think it's album possible. There. It's possible that might That's get covered. Possible. All right. Well, this is March of 1990. You've been listening to What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm John. And I'm Bruce. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening to What the Riff. We hope you enjoyed the songs we had on tap today. Please tell your friends about us. Check us out at whattheriff.com and follow us on Facebook. Special thanks to our sponsors, the Southeastern Railway Museum, Stanton Electric, and Marbury Creative Group. That's all for this week. See you next week on What the Riff?